I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. And we love stories and talking about stories. So we're looking at the Bible as a story that's filled with real people. And we're hoping that if we um, show the human side of these people in the story, um, that we'll see God is real too. That's right. We want to try to read the Bible with curiosity and maybe let our imagination do more work than it gets to do when we read scripture sometimes. So we're going to start with the question, what did these people eat for breakfast? And we're going to see where it takes us. How did they start their day? And how did the rest of the day go? Welcome to The Breakfast Translation. Okay, I say we start this episode with a bunch of uh, nerdy facts about prophets. Please. And then uh, some really exciting talk about crying. Yeah, fun, <laughs> fun. Like, we can nerd like out and then we can talk about sadness. About weeping, mm -hmm. yeah. So if people are driving in their car and just want to feel better about the world and company and want to hear fun little voices, we'll just talk about sad things mm -hmm. and, and nerdy things. I think that's a good, that's appealing, right? Yeah, let's dive in. So we're in the, with Jeremiah, we're starting to get into the back half of the Old Testament. Yes. And it's important to say, I think, this is, I don't know if other people find this helpful, but I think it's helpful to, there's basically three parts to the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. There's history, there's the fancy fun writings, the like more creative stuff that we talked about last time with Job mm. and Ecclesiastes and Psalms and Proverbs, all these kind of, the creative downtime they had are the writings. Sure. And then you get into the prophets, which is the third part. And... What do you, when you, somebody says prophets, what do you, what's your first thought? I think about telling the future. Yeah. I think that that's a piece of it. I think the fun part of prophecy to me is that they didn't just tell the future. They read the present. Uh, okay. So they could interpret yeah. what was happening and they now and how it would affect If, if we keep later. doing this, this is where this is going. Um, and the prophets are there's a few things about them. One is that they are understood as like speaking for God. Right. Like direct lines of communication almost. Yeah. And some of their narratives are basically the word of the Lord came to me and said, tell the people this. Mm -hmm. And some of them resist that. Right. You have Jonah who decides I don't want to go. Yeah. I don't blame them. <laughs> I don't like them enough to go tell them the truth. And in you have, we're going to see in Jeremiah, like the truth he has to tell them is hard. Right. He knows it's going to, that it's going to be hard for them to hear and they might not respond the way that God wants them to. Um, one of uh, the like most brilliant people on the prophets lives in Cincinnati down the street from us is he's a guy by the name of Walter Brueggemann. Okay. And his big idea about the prophets are that they do two things. One is the thing we think about all the time that they critique and I think when we think about other people being prophets in the culture or in the church, even we think of them being people who say harsh things ah, or say true things that hurt. Yes. But he says a true prophet does critique, but they also energize that they actually do both things that they, they tell people, here's how this could go. And a lot of times that's towards destruction, but then the other half of their messages, it could go different. Mm-hmm. And that God wants to restore you. So I'm, I'm, it sounds like the energizing would come from putting a mirror in front of people and saying, Hey, this is what you're doing. I'm sure there's something that doesn't feel like it's bringing, it's not making you feel good, right? You're not, I, I know that you already know that this isn't going well. Here's, here's what it could be. Here's some call. Here's a call to action. Yeah. Here's another way. Explicit change. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking about this. I had to talk about uh, Micah, 
who is kind of like the shortened version of Isaiah. And I use the, this is a little bit, I get mad at myself when I use alliteration, <laughs> but it's, I think a lot of the prophets, there's the math side of them. Like the, if you do this, this will happen. Like, sure. like we talked about with Job and the algebra, like A plus B will equal C. Mm-hmm. They always kind of had that math. Here's what your sin or what your rebellion will cost you. But then they, they always kind of come along and mercy is a little bit louder. They shout mercy just a little bit louder. And so it's almost like they're showing you the bill right before they pay it for you. Mm. So they're showing you this is what this is costing you. But then they end up saying, God, God has this. Right. And so it's really the math and the mercy kind of working against each other. So when we look at the prophets, they're trying to, they're really communicating both things, that there's bad news and then there's good news. And one of the things about that is that there's, there's always going to be a remnant. The prophets tell us that no matter how much a community or the people of God, no matter how much they fail or fall apart, there will always be a faithful remnant that God will stay faithful to. And if you remember, we talked about how the whole story is really about the land, the posterity and the special relationship with God. And so the prophets are really like checking in on how's that covenant going? Mm -hmm. How are we doing with land? How are we doing with posterity? How are we doing with how we're going to be remembered and kept alive? And how are we doing with that special relationship with God? Are we blessing the same things God would bless? And that's why a lot of the prophets are like into justice. Yeah, because we, yeah. we talked about prophets being prophets slash the legal system. Right. Because they want things to be fair. And a lot of times they're giving voice to the overlooked, to the people who have been victims of unfair um, society systems. And so they really give a voice to what God wants in the history of people. <laughs> uh, and we're finding them in this moment, just to catch up on the history. We're stepping into Jeremiah. If you remember during like Solomon's reign, everybody's pretty content. Things are going pretty well. They build the temple. They write more books there. They have a lot of safety and more power than they've had before, but it doesn't come without some consequences because eventually everybody gets mad because they're being taxed. Mm. And somebody has to pay for the buildings, the educational systems. Um, And so we're at this moment where the people of God actually divide into two. There's a sort of civil war. And they break into two different kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And these, this division is because of the people who are like pro-tax and anti-tax? Yeah, or the people who are tired of having to pay for the capital... Uh, like, some people just reject it. Yeah. They, they want to return to being smaller or return to being less famous in the world. Sure. Return to... They don't want to pay for Chicago. Exactly. Yeah. It's, <laughs> so they it's go to the suburbs. different than, you know, what we feel with like, how much should our private money be public money? And so you start to have that battle here. And because they're now divided, they experience more vulnerability. Yeah, because there's strength and unity, of course. Right. And so they start to have more instances where the Babylonians in spe- specifically will will come in and take over. And so we're hearing Jeremiah foretell this or narrate this as it's happening. And I think a fun thing about Jeremiah, <laughs> fun, always being relative, 
is that he's known for just crying a lot. He's actually known as like a weep, a weeper. Yeah, the weeping prophet That's is right. what comes up sometimes if you Google him. Yeah, and he, so not only is he the voice of the book of Jeremiah, but there's a lot of reason to tie him also to the book of Lamentations, which I loved when I was like, you know how like when you're young, you're extra sad sometimes? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I sure a, do. There's a, I think that's a Ryan Adams song. To be young is to be sad, and you know, the teen you, angst. That's right. The angsty, especially I was a '90s high schooler and college person, so I was Gen X. So I was like especially sad. And I remember finding Lamentations, and Lamentations three is just this really graphic depiction of sorrow. So there's this description in Lamentations three. Of this young person who feels like their teeth are being shoved into the gravel. Oof. Which is... Ouch. That is how your 20s feel sometimes, I think. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that is graphic. Yeah. But that's how Jeremiah felt. And he has this, this huge calling on him to go and tell the people the worst things about them. To hold up a mirror to all their wickedness. To tell them that everything they've dreamed of happening in their world is not going to happen. Or they're, it's in danger of not happening. That's a tough gig. Yeah. So I, I think thought, I'd cry too. <laughs> exactly. I thought it'd just be worth us kind of, are you a big, are you a bit easy cry? Yes, cry I am. I do. I used to be very um, in insecure about it. I didn't like that I cried all the time. And I'm starting to warm up to the idea that it is okay that I feel because I feel joy is the sure. same with the same intensity. Yeah. But yeah I'm, I'm quick to tear up. Can you get away with like a subtle cry or do you go into like deep? No, I can. I can have like the silent tears, the very beautiful <laughs> cry, <laughs> the very melodramatic That's look out the window and just one one tear. Yeah. So slowly it's not rolls down the like cheek. Weeping and wailing. Nope. Yeah. Nope. There's no the. <laughs> yeah. But I do get those too. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> you get a sense with Jeremiah that he it's not the single tear. It's the wailing. Yeah. It's the weeping and wailing. Yeah. yeah what about you? I have had a rule for myself for a long time that I think is unhealthy and that I have to work out with the therapist, <laughs> but it was like, like the never let them see you cry thing Yeah, that I kind of had to deal with myself that I would always like take that somewhere else. I don't know if I sure. got that from Tom Hanks in League of Their Own. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> like this sense of that it, it's some kind of weakness. Yeah. I don't know. I, cause I do, I am easily moved, but I'll just kind of suppress it right until it feels safer to let it to let it go yeah it does feel it feels like I'm not supposed to cry as much as it or I feel like it is weakness that I cry yeah. or I just did um I feel like I'm doing bad things for women in general <laughs> that I cry so easily <laughs> but I do feel kind of lucky that I have a dad who cries even easier than I do yeah that's so nice. I, that was always yeah. shown as being okay <laughs> yeah I do think especially with workplace stuff that's yes. a big deal oh yes yeah and it, it is very gendered and it does make it seem like a weakness when it's actually can be a strength for sure yeah absolutely and um I hope that that is something that's sort of shifting and changing mm -hmm. um you know we do have kind of a rule for ourselves this season that we'll talk about Frederick Buechner every episode mm -hmm. but he has this big thing about that you should always pay attention to what makes you cry that there's a good chance that there's something good and holy happening um whether it's the the single tear or the or the weeping and wailing uh, one notable thing about Jeremiah is that he doesn't just weep 
And he doesn't just preach or prophesy. But there are times where God calls on Jeremiah to play act what he's saying. Yeah. And would you please tell us more about this? I remember him (laughs) wearing a yoke or something like that, or I don't know, but I know he he uses objects. Yeah. It's something that is very bizarre. Uh, This is the same as, I always get him and Ezekiel mixed up because it's very similar. Okay. Both of them, it's very similar messaging and it is basically, it's essentially performance art. Like- the people might not just listen to what you have to say. So what I need you to do is dramatize it. Uh, so I can't remember if it's Jeremiah or Ezekiel, but one of them has to like cut their hair and attack it. Attack it, their hair? Yeah. yeah. I would stop. way of like showing the Babylonians attacking Israel. Sure. Um, one of them has to, I, can, I can't remember which one it is. One of them has to like cut a hole in the wall of the city and then climb in and out of the hole to show like the, how easily the enemies are going to be able to attack Ah, Jerusalem. That would be effective. Jeremiah, one of his is to take, take his, essentially take his underwear or his loincloth. Oh, let's see what this goes. (laughs) Go hide it in a rock. Uh Uh-huh. And then basically bring it back a few days later and be like, see how gross my underwear is? (laughs) Look, this is what will happen to you (laughs) if you continue to Not repent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And probably more beautiful performance art, the more famous one is that he goes and buys pottery and breaks it to show that just as you were like crafted by the hand of the potter and you were this piece of art, you can also, you're also easily breakable. And I don't know exactly what to make of it. I think one, it's, we know that God is not satisfied with just telling people stuff that basically the whole Bible is God (laughs) Inviting people to play act reality. Yeah. Uh, It's just extra clear here in the work of the prophets because they're basically street preachers. Sure. Who every once in a while, it's not enough to say it. They have to show it. That's what I was going to ask. So is he just sort of going about the town and doing these performances essentially? Uh, That's That's our best picture. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think an important point too, one of my favorite uh, writers has a book all about this, um, about the work of translation that if you ever notice, like the prophecies are kind of set apart, like the typeset is different. Have you ever noticed how it's like, yes. Yeah. It looks different than just the text of the history books. And that is because the prophets often spoke in poetry. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, and that makes sense because they're probably having to remember a lot too. Right. And what they're and saying they be repetitive. Want, they want their messages to be repeated. Sure. So a lot of the prophecies, I can't, I think Jeremiah is one of them. They're acrostics. So this writer, Sarah Rudin, she talks about especially the prophecies, but she deals in translation issues. And she says that thing about it being kind of set apart is to reflect that it's poetry. That there was a rhythm to what they were saying. Most of the prophets, they were also acrostics. So they would have started, each section would have started with a different, like a letter, like through the alphabet. Oh, wow. So true. And it truly is to help create a message. And to keep it memorable. And Uh, one of my favorite lines from her is basically, if you can't dance to it, it's not a good enough translation. (laughs) And I I always, I translate, my translation of what she's saying is that if it's not as catchy as like the theme show, this theme song to, uh. Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Sure, then it's not they're really not. Those, yeah, that's the not the God. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but that's her idea. Amen. Is that the they were artists, and that God's choice to speak through them was also like a creative decision. Wow, to not just like deliver this hard news, but to do it in a way 
that would capture the most attention mm-hmm. to do it in a, a way that would capture attention and stick stick with it too. Exactly. Something that was memorable. That those are the highlights of Jeremiah. It's actually a pretty lengthy work that we have from him, uh, and a lot of stuff about his character and his work. Um, What's your feel for what he has for breakfast? So I pivoted a little bit on this breakfast question for Jeremiah. I was picturing him actually as a server okay. at a diner in this scenario. And he goes back in the kitchen. He <laughs> has to he has to go to the table. Or the, the chef has to tell him, hey, we don't have any of oh, their yeah. favorite cinnamon rolls that this table really wants. And he yeah. has to go and he has to say, hey, there's no cinnamon rolls. Yeah. And disappoint them. But you can say, but there's these really amazing banana pancakes that I think <laughs> you should try. Yeah. Yeah, I like and deal that with the picture. aftermath of whether or not the people accept that or reject it, or yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> has to I deliver bad news. He has good news, but sometimes people don't see it as good news because they want what they know. Yeah, and he's not fully in control. Right, he has limited agency here. Right, he's just the face and the voice of this news. But the people still might get mad at him, even yes. though he has no control has over what he's it. telling. Yeah, um, I just pictured him as needing to hydrate. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If that's you've the ever truth. had like one of those big weeping sessions, you feel so like depleted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I imagine him needing to get up and like get some Gatorade in. Sure. Um, just to keep up with his his system's needs. Right. Because it seems like it was a little bit endless too. It wasn't yeah. like he had one weeping session. It was yeah. over. This was a lifetime of having to deliver yeah. really difficult news. And I don't, people don't who didn't want to hear it. record of him taking vacation time or anything. <laughs> I don't know what the uh, profit PTO <laughs> yeah. looks like. Yeah. Because <laughs> I think he would need to recharge at some point, but we don't have any record of him doing that. Um, I want us to focus on, so Jeremiah is famous for a passage. Okay. That I have big feelings about. Let's hear it. Do you know the passage? No. Do you know the most famous Jeremiah passage? I know. It's not coming to mind. You probably got it on a bunch of your graduation cards. It's for I know the plans I have. Yes. For you. For you. <laughs> plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And it might be a thing. There are a lot of things that I would get have strong feelings about when I was younger. And then 15 years later, I'm like, I don't know why I cared about it. <laughs> so this might be one of those things, except I felt have had strong feelings about this for a while because people use that verse all the time. It's on a cards. It's on mugs. Oh, absolutely. It's on little statuettes. We repeat it to each other. If you ask people what their favorite verse is, they will say that. And we do this thing where we personalize it. Yeah. I think we're supposed to do to some degree, but we take just that verse. Right. Yeah. The context is pretty dire. Yes. Because those plans look like captivity. Right. Those plans are exile. In the immediate time, it does feel like harm. Yeah. If you take a deeper look at that context, it's it's not all great things. That the plans God has is for them to go into captivity. Right. To be the in plans exile. are painful. Yeah. To leave the homes and the schools and the grocery stores they've known. To, to go into a foreign land and to be without their community, without their ritual. Um, and... I just think we we focus, we make it personal right away and we take away all the context from it Uh, in that exact same passage, because I think a lot of times with that, we want to know what the plans are and we kind of tell ourselves, I'm sure it's to get the job I want. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm sure that's college is going to be awesome. Yeah. And we kind of and then we like hold God to this promise God never made. So if a few years pass and you don't get the the good planned, then you're 
you feel cheated. Um, but in the same chapter, God's direction to people is while you're in captivity, while you're under foreign rule, go ahead and keep building houses and go ahead and keep planting gardens and eat what they make and plant it in one season, trusting that you're going to be there to reap it a few months later because you're going to be here for a while in this place where you feel like you don't belong. And it also says, uh, build families. So trust enough in the future to have kids, like make a home here in exile. Cause you're not going to feel like you belong for a long time. Wow. And I think we think, Oh God has good plans for me. And I'll probably get that job right out of college. You know, like, no, that's but maybe you need to build it. a home in some of the painful. Yeah. Be faithful before you see the ending is the good plan. And one of my other favorite notes in this chapter through Jeremiah from God is seek the welfare of the city you live in. So don't think about the other places you want to live, but take care of the city you're in and know that how well you do is dependent on how the whole community is doing. Wow. And I always just think, I wish that that was on our cards is that if you feel like you're, you're not moving forward or progressing, you don't belong, or if something feels wrong, find ways to be faithful there. And I wish that was our message to graduates or to people suffering or to people who feel unsure. I wish our message was be stay faithful and see what God does. But instead we tell them just wait. Later is going to be great. Yeah. Eventually every, this is all going to work out. God has an exact plan and one way that this can go. And you have to just wait and find that. Um, but that's not really how the story goes. The story is more complex than that, but simpler than that. <laughs> yeah. And, and the story is also that God is present in all of it. Yes. And that even when you're in like an essential exile, where you feel far away from what you thought the world would be that God is still working there. And I think we really set people up for <laughs> something less than right by this, by pitching this idea of joy as a leader. Yes. And so I just want, I, I think it's important for us to sit with that part of Jeremiah because it's a big piece of what he offers uh, to the people is that that mercy wins out over the math of, well, God, I, we had a five-year plan, you know, um, that mercy of God is here and working no matter what it looks like is, should be louder mm -hmm. in all of our words to each other and should be like poetry to us, I think. So that's Jeremiah. That's our crying, crying breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> and thank our... you to Jeremiah. That must've been really difficult to have that be his calling to yeah. tell people things that they didn't want to hear. And it, for it to fall on ears that um, wouldn't hear it for a long time. Yeah. But even though he was offering mercy at the same time. And I think there's a call on us too. What do we have to say that's true, even if it causes some salty tears? So thanks for joining us on the Breakfast Translation.